I've always had a laid-back personality. I played Little League as a kid, and for the first couple years, I wasn't that good. I'd luck into two or three hits a season and be the kid that would play one inning at the end of the game because the rules said I had to. Then my 12-year-old year, it all clicked. I ended the year with a 674 batting average, and they'd moved me from the 8th spot in the batting order, which, if you don't know, is terrible, to 2nd, which is fantastic. Even from the 2nd spot in the lineup, I ended the year with a few dozen RBIs. In addition to that, I was making great plays at first base. I was never the most flexible kid, uh, still I'm not the most flexible adult, but I'd find a way to stretch out and catch an offline throw from an infielder in order to keep my foot on the base and get an out. I had such a great year that I made our league's all-star team. Now, I'm not trying to be that guy who's reliving his greatest sports accomplishments as a 12-year-old through a podcast, uh, but there is a point to this story. Even in spite of all of these things, my coaches thought I was lazy. Now, they never said that, but they'd say things like, come on, Matt, hustle, even though I'd finish a drill as one of the fastest guys on the team. I would hustle. I would run a ground ball out. I would dive for a ball in the field. But because of my laid-back personality, they would interpret that as laziness. My teachers felt the same. Only they were actually correct. I was lazy. I could go to the majority of my classes, never study, and get a B. I was pretty happy with that. My parents and teachers, though, not so much. To make matters worse, I had the exact same schedule as my sister did one year after she had all of those teachers, and she was a straight-A student. Wah, wah. So every year at the beginning of the class, the teacher would do roll call, look at me, and quizzically ask, Are you Bethany's brother? I would say yes, and they would be overjoyed, not knowing that we did not share the same drive. Usually, by the end of the year, the conversations had little to do with me and the teachers asking me how my sister was doing. My laid-back demeanor has also worked in my favor, though. Even as a kid, I could keep my head cool in wild situations. Once, a friend of ours came over to use our table saw to cut some wood. My dad and I were working on putting up some siding on our house, and so we were up on ladders pretty high in the air. Our friend was cutting the wood, and all of a sudden, there was this god-awful sound, and he started screaming, I cut my fingers off! I cut my fingers off! We were off the ladder in a second, and my dad was helping him wrap his hand, and my mom was calling 911. I waited in the front of our house to bring the paramedics to the backyard to get him into the ambulance. I was shaken up to say the least, but... I kept cool, and I was able to contribute positively to the situation. So, sometimes being laid back isn't so bad. When I got to college, though, things changed. My laid-backness in the classroom made the full transition to laziness, and the classes I was taking for ministry were getting my worst effort, not my best. It was my junior year of college, first semester. I didn't have a great GPA because I had gotten a D in biology my very first semester of freshman year, and I was doing my best to get B's to raise that up. Rather than stepping it up like I should have, I continued my lazy ways, trying to coast through the classes that didn't interest me. At the time, one of my church history classes was really chapping my hide. Dr. Terrell Sanders was the professor, and he was great. But I decided early on in the class that this was quote-unquote stupid, and the material was irrelevant, so I checked out pretty hard when I was there. It was one of those classes where you had three grades total for the whole semester. You had a midterm, you had a final, and you had a term paper. The semester was well underway, and we were digging hard into some 12th century church history. As we approached the midterm, I was taking a very lackadaisical attitude towards the whole thing, confident I could get my B and be done with it. 
The day of the exam came and I got my blue book. My man writes three questions on the board and says, pick one of these to answer. I read all three and I had no idea what any of these topics were. I hadn't missed many classes, so immediately I just thought he was messing with us or being unfair. Then I looked around the room and I saw my classmates all freely writing away. It was at that point I realized I was in serious trouble. I typically enjoy essay tests over multiple choice tests because I can talk my way into the right answer or at least touch on it on the fringe on some point. However, 45 minutes into this test, I barely had filled two pages. I knew I was in trouble again. The next class came, and our typically laid-back professor came in, and he was really upset. It was this profound mix of anger and disappointment. It turns out we had roughly 40 people in this class, and only 10 of them had passed the exam. 10. I remember this moment really fondly. He stood in front of the class and began to share his heart. It was really incredible, and honestly, it was a turning point in my life. He got up and he said, honestly, this is one of the worst performances on any exam I've ever seen from a collective group of people in my 35 years of teaching. I don't really know what to do. If I don't allow a retake, most of you will have to take this class again because your grade is so low, you can't possibly pass even if you ace the final exam in the term paper. But more than that, I'm afraid if I give you a retake, you'll take advantage of that and not learn a lesson long-term that you need to learn here. Then, in front of the class, he prayed for wisdom. Now, in this moment, he hadn't passed out the exams yet, but I knew I was one of the people he was talking about. At the same time, I remember watching him be so open about the struggle of what to do, and he prayed with such earnesty. I was equal parts terrified and in awe of the beauty of the moment. After the prayer, he said, I'm going to pass out these exams, and that's all we're going to do in this class today. I want you to get your exam, look at your grade, my comments, leave the room, and go reflect on why you're here. The exams were passed out, and he gave me mine. My suspicions were confirmed as I received an F, but what shocked me was how bad it was. It was a 37%. Now, unfortunately, this was the second lowest test score I'd ever achieved in my life, I do remember once receiving a 17% in geometry by 10th grade year of school, but this one hit different. It wasn't that I had gotten such a low score. It was how lazy, stupid, and arrogant I'd been in my approach that the Lord really laid into me about. I left the class and I went down by a bench that was next to a stream on our campus, a place where I'd often go sit and reflect and pray. It was in that prayer time that God began to show me how my lack of effort wasn't being laid back, it was being lazy. Beyond that, the laziness was coming from a place of fear. I was afraid that if I did try and give my best, I would still fail, and I don't know if I could handle that. The Lord began to challenge so many assumptions in my heart, that I wasn't good enough, that I couldn't do this, and that He'd made a mistake in calling me into ministry. But beside that little stream, I remember hearing His voice tell me that I was enough, and he was enough to help me live a life of excellence for his name. Through tears I repented. I asked God to help me as I tried to right this wrong and to give God my very best not only for the rest of my time in school but the rest of my days in this life. I went back to my dorm room and I sent Dr. Sanders an email that went something like this. Dr. Sanders, I want to email you to simply apologize for my effort in your class to this point. I took time to reflect today and I was deeply challenged by the Lord. I repented, and I want to ask you to forgive me. You'll get my best effort going forward. 
I also want to state that I'm not writing this in hopes for a retake of the exam, but simply trying to be obedient to what, to what the Lord is asking of me. Thank you, Matt. About an hour later, I got a reply that was so kind and generous and thoughtful. He affirmed my calling, he told me he was proud of me, and he offered to help me grasp any material that I might be struggling with. That moment was a turning point for me, like I said earlier. I recognized that what I had considered simply being laid back was actually my way of disguising a laziness that was rooted in self-doubt and fear. I got straight A's the rest of my time in college, and very close to that in my graduate studies. Not because I wanted to perform or pull my grades up, but because that's who I am in Christ. God's word tells us in 1 John that there is no fear in love because perfect love drives out fear. It's amazing to me that John writes about love driving out fear, not about love driving out hate. Now don't get me wrong, love will drive out hate too, but the point John is making is the opposite of love is fear, not hate. This seems counterintuitive, but when you think about the situation I just described, that scripture fits perfectly. When asked what the greatest commandment is, Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. I have a theory that all of us are living the second greatest commandment all the time without even realizing it. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's impossible to love someone else any differently than we love ourselves. So if I hate myself or think lowly of myself, I can't possibly love anyone more than that. And that includes Jesus. When I think about fear in that season, I was driven by the fact that I didn't trust Jesus' love enough for me to trust Him with my fears. It was my fear that led me to a low view of myself, and it was fear that led me to hide from effort, just like Adam and Eve hid from God in the garden. Fear hides from love, and that's why love drives out fear. And so all of us have only capacity to love others like Christ, when we truly love Jesus with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. I had fear in my heart, which led me to hold back my mind from Christ. Fear keeps us from giving our whole selves to Jesus and truly being able to fulfill this part of this commandment. This leads us back to the, our whole conversation around identity. For me, I took a socially acceptable label of being laid back and manipulated bad habits and bad spiritual identity around that. I failed to realize that I'm a child of the King, and every good and perfect gift comes from Him. He leads me to where I need to be. He gives me what I need to do and what He's calling me to do, and He transforms my mind to be more like Him every single day. The more I embrace this truth, the more clear my identity is becoming. So what about you? You may not struggle with laziness. You may not struggle with fear or self-doubt. But there may be a label that you're putting on yourself or a label the enemy is affirming in your mind. That's just not true. And it's not who you are in Christ. And even though a second ago I said it may not be fear, it's probably rooted in fear, though. We're afraid. We're afraid if we gave our whole selves to Jesus or revealed our whole selves to the world that we'd be rejected. But there is no fear in love because perfect love drives out fear. And whatever it is you're struggling with today or whatever label is firm on your heart today, the Holy Spirit right now is working to remove that. He's calling it out. He's lifting it off. And He's leading you back to a place with Him. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that You love us enough to not let us stay put in our bad habits or our excuses or the places 
God, that you want us to leave. You dig in hard, God, you chase us. Lord, you love us exactly the way we are, but way too much to let us stay that way. And I'm so thankful that's true in my life as well. And I pray for whoever's listening to this today, God, that they would be encouraged. Lord, they would be bold to come before the throne of grace and to bring all of their habits, all of their hangups, their hurts, all of the things in their identity, God, that don't belong to you and have their lives rewritten for the name and the sake and the glory of God. We thank you and ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again so much for listening. Hope you're enjoying this podcast. And uh, just pray God's blessings for your life and a great day ahead. Take care.